Hello and welcome to the Teacher Takeaway podcast. This is season three, episode 29, and we're going to be looking at teacher and parent partnerships. I am your host, Alice Figures, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Rebecca West. Hey, Beck. Hello, everybody. Good to be back again. I know. I feel like it's been a while since you and I have jumped on together and had a had a chat. The benefit of having multiple co-hosts. We've just exactly. got lots of different friends every week. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do. The boys, James and Aaron, are unfortunately not with us, but we are joined by a wonderful guest who is going to engage us in a really rich and deep conversation around Terrence teacher and parent partnerships as we unpack the inquiry question, how do we effectively build a culture of trust, collaboration and inquiry between teachers and parents? And we're joined by Andrew Oberther. Did I say that correctly, Andrew? You did. Thank you, Alice. That's right. Perfect. <laughs> we're so happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, ladies. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Now, a little bit about Andrew before we get stuck into our conversation. Andrew is a primary school principal and he's published, um, he's an author of two books, Are You Ready for School?, which is about building a culture of trust, collaboration and inquiry between teachers and parents, which is what we're going to unpack in our conversation today. And he's also written a book called Balance, which is about building positive relationships within educational protocols. Andrew has a passion for ensuring children and their parents are ready to start school. He's a prolific writer contributing to various journals and websites, including Teachers Matter and Education Today. In our chat today, he's going to um, explain the five reasons why parents engage with their children's school, the three questions that teachers should ask parents, the three questions that parents should ask teachers, and the three responses parents should give their children with two criteria teachers should use to filter their responses to parent requests. Looking at the formula for trust as a 5 plus 3 plus 3 plus 3 plus 2 equals 16, it sounds interesting and I'm looking forward to unpacking that. I'm assured that it's a very practical um, discussion that we're going to be having uh, on this episode and you should walk away with lots of really intriguing and interesting takeaways and strategies that you can use when engaging with parents because parents uh, relationships with our parents can be one of the major stresses that we have as teachers um, and leaders in our schools. So the message is very important for the well-being of our teachers and leaders in our school. So super, super excited to unpack this with you, Andrew. Before we do that, what led you to this point in your journey? Alice, a few years ago, I was sitting as a parent at a parent education night at my son's high school here in Brisbane, listening to some psychologists tell my wife and I, amongst all the other parents there, about how to raise good young gentlemen. And it occurred to me that at that stage, I'd been a teacher for probably near on 30 years. I'd been a principal for 17 or 18 years. And I thought, I've got something to contribute here from the world of a parent as well as the world of an educator because I think parents tend to listen to all the psychologists in the world, the Michael Carr Greggs, the Andrew Fullers, the Steve Bidoffs of the world. And as educators, we listen to the John Hatties, the Michael Fuller and the Lynn Sharrett's of the world, and yet we're talking about the same children. 
and we've got to get on the same page and we're often not on the same page and parents sometimes get confused as to who they listen to do they listen to psychologists who often give parents and teachers advice but they're not in the classrooms do the parents listen to the teachers because we're the so-called experts in education and they should but we're not giving them parenting advice so I took the opportunity to scribble down a few ideas and I presented a workshop to my community at the time, my school community, and it got some good feedback. And then I decided to write the first book um, about building a culture of trust, collaboration, and inquiry, uh, which is about parents and teachers being on the same page. So at the end of every chapter in that book, there are tips for parents and teachers about whatever the topic is. And it's not curriculum related. It's about everything else about school life because we have to acknowledge that parents are the first educators mm -hmm. of their children, and yet we are the formal educators of their children. We've got to be on the same page. We've got to work together. The research will say that if parents are invested in their children's education, children have better outcomes. So we have to acknowledge that it's important for parents and teachers to work together. And hence, book number one, and then I evolved into book number two, which is more about working with teachers and school leaders. So that's what brought me to this point, Alice. Yeah, fascinating. And it's it's a really interesting space, I think, Andrew, and it's kind of one of those things that I guess we don't really talk about a whole lot, that relationship between teachers and parents and school. And But like you said, it's, you know, parents are their child's first educator and, you know, there's a lot, there's a wealth of knowledge in there and developing that strong partnership with a family as they enter our school community is so important in terms of supporting the learning journey of that child. And you said something really important to start, Alice, that the relationship with parents is, can be, not always is, but can be a significant stressor for teachers and for school leaders. Mm. The research out of ACU for school leaders which they've done for the last 11 or 12 years, surveying 2,500 principals across the country, suggests that the parent relationships is in the top, it's either sixth or seventh top stressor for school leaders. Yeah. So if I can help people understand how and why parents engage and I can help parents understand appropriate engagement with their school, their children's school, then hopefully we can decrease the stress, improve the well-being. And the ultimate beneficiary will be our students, our children. So that's the ultimate goal, I think, to decrease stress, increase teacher wellbeing and have students have high-quality education. It's um, an interesting topic for me at the moment considering today I went to my own children's parent-teacher oh. interviews. <laughs> it's just great timing and it's a follow-up. Um, from the beginning of the year as well too but my children have also had to change schools a few times with the moves that we've had as a family too so feeling the different styles of communication and ways that schools connect and um, the the strategies that teachers use also putting on my own teacher hat knowing potentially what's going on yeah. in the background or reading between the teacher language when they're sitting there yeah. trying to be um, open communicators without being, I guess, too blunt. Uh, it's yeah. a good idea that you've got a formula here for um, teachers and, and parents to be able to um, touch base with. And so I'm really keen after hearing this interesting formula there. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go through what is your formula for trust between teachers and parents? Okay. So Beck, 
I break it down into, uh, as Alice described at the start. So there's five reasons why parents engage with schools. There's three responses parents should give their children when at home, if, if a child comes home and talks about school. There's three questions parents should ask teachers. And there's only three questions teachers should ask parents when engaging. And then I think there should be two criteria that teachers need to use before they commit to any parent request. So effectively, the formula is five plus three plus three plus three plus two. Um, and we're going to unpack that in its entirety tonight. Hmm, it's interesting. I'm, <laughs> I'm really intrigued as to how you got to that formula. And I'm sure you will unpack the kind of workings of that. Um, was it something that you kind of, before we dive in, was it something that you kind of, I guess, came to with your through your own experience as a teacher and a, and a principal, or was it something that was, you know, kind of combined with research and evidence that you'd kind of read and gathered ac across your time, or how all, did you all above, get to that? Yeah, look, all of the above. I, I did uh, some study a few years ago. I did a, uh, some study in negotiation, and I was fortunate to study under a gentleman called Alan Parker, who is a world-renowned negotiator, and... Alan helped me understand more about communication styles with or in the education setting. And over time, I've started to collect uh, emails from parents and do a bit of analysis about the types of emails, particularly because they're sort of hard copies. I, I don't record phone calls, but I certainly keep emails as evidence of the five reasons. And I'm going to suggest that 99.9% .9 of engagement with parents will fall under these five areas, which I'll unpack in a moment. So having done all that, and then through a little bit of research that I quote in my second book, because this one was in my second book as well as my first book, um, I'm unable to identify why and how parents engage and then help teachers and parents to understand each party's position, because it's very easy to come at from a teacher point of view when we put in our educator's hat but if you're an educator and you're a parent, then you can also put on your parent hat as Rebecca's obviously just experienced recently. So if we can marry up the two understandings and mutual respect for each role, and each role is so important in child's education, then the child slash student is the winner in this. Mm. So that's how I came to identify. A lot of it was through observation and tracking and recording conversations, particularly via email, because I've got, I've literally got hundreds of emails I've kept to go, which category does this fall into? And that's why I've come up and summarised it down to five reasons. Yeah. So what would those, let's dive into that now. What would those yep. five reasons parents engage with school? All right. So let's go through the, in no particular order, but I tend to start this way. First reason why parents would engage with their child's school is simply to share information. Now that could be everything from, We've just changed schools and here's my child and here's a report card. Sharing of information. It could be sharing, we're going on a family holiday. We're going to miss the last week of school. Um, thanks very much. Uh, my child has been away sick for a week. Um, they're on medication. Please look after them. Sharing information. Thanks very much. So that's simply the first reason. There's, there's no action required. It's simply a transfer of information. As soon as the transaction between parents and teachers become more than sharing information, it falls into the one or the other four categories. 
So may I continue with the four other categories? Yep. So the second reason a parent might engage with school is to understand history or context. Now, that's often around what happens in a, in a school and the parents don't fully grasp it. And that could be everything from what's the school's policy on homework? What's the school's philosophy on teaching for, or preparation for NAPLAN? What's the school's philosophy on teaching spelling? Um, how did the school come to a decision about the tuck shop menu? It's purely seeking understanding or context or history. So I talk about a parent comes seeking understanding, history or context as the second reason why parents would engage with school. Again, inquiry questions, which is great, but they're not asking anything more than information. Yep. They, they, they may act on it, but at the moment, this second reason why parents engage is purely to get information, to understand, particularly if they're new to the school or if it's a first-time parent. So when your child starts prep or kindy and you've got no idea what happens, I've got to seek information. So please give me the information, context or history. So third reason. Now, this is where it gets a bit of fun with teachers. The third reason why parents may engage is to get advice. Because we as educators are the experts in all things educational. So parents will come to teachers and say, can you please help me get my child to read? Can you please help me do such and such? However, in getting advice, it's the parent who's going to be doing it, okay, which is different from another reason coming up. So this reason is parents want advice, but they're going to do it, and it's usually about home. My child never gets invited to a birthday party. What am I going to do about this? Please give me some advice. My child is a reluctant reader. What can I do at home? What can I as parents do at home? So this is about the teacher giving the parents some advice. The fourth reason, parents want a solution to a problem. They will come to you and go, please fix this problem. But this is a case that they want the school to do something, not them doing something. Now, this can be everything from, can you please fix the car park nightmare in the front of the school? <laughs> or it could be, my child says they've got no friends at school. Can you help them build a network at school? Or it could be, my child doesn't understand the maths concept you taught yesterday. Can you please give them some one-on-one -on -one attention? Or my child has a learning disability. Can you please help them? Or my child needs to be extended because they're gifted. So can you please make sure that you're catering to their academic needs? So this is when the school, the teacher, support teachers, guidance counselors, principals, deputies, that's where we're doing the work. So they want us to give a solution, fix the problem, if at yep. all possible. And the final reason, now, sometimes principals, deputies, teachers get a bit alarmed about this next one. However, let me live on the edge. Sometimes parents engage with schools to give us advice. Now, when I say that, particularly in front of principals, I get a few chuckles. Because how dare parents give us advice? Well, let me suggest I'm not an expert in everything at school. And if I've got a dietitian that can help me set the tuck shop menu, I'll take their advice. If I've got a civil engineer who can help me fix the car parking problem, I'll take their advice. 
if I've got a building supervisor who can help me with a capital project, I'll take that parent's advice. So there are occasions where I think it's completely legitimate for parents to give principals, deputies, sometimes teachers advice. It might be a case of the teacher may have, sorry, the parent may have moved schools with their child and they can say things like, this worked in my child's previous school, you might want to try this strategy. That's legitimate in my opinion. So there are occasions where parents can give teachers, deputies, principals, legitimate advice. So there are my five reasons, Alison Beck. I think context sharing history. Uh, we're going to be sharing information, no action required. We're going to seek advice, parents are going to seek advice. We're going to seek a solution as a parent. I want the school to fix something. And on occasions, a parent might give advice if it's appropriate. I, I like the idea that we need to be willing to do that. So coming from the perspective of being a brand new school where all of our kids are coming from all over the country into brand mm. new estates that are getting built, yeah. we don't know their kids, we don't know their context. Yeah. If they're coming into state, we don't even have records. So absolutely, we will definitely ask their parents, what's going on for your kid? What helps yeah. them learn best? How can we get to know them? Um, and just fostering that holistic wraparound support for the child, especially when you're just, you know, starting in that brand new space. And that will work absolutely for any child that's um, doesn't even need to be going into a new school, just that transition to a new grade, a new teacher, a new person, a new face. Um, that can make all the difference in the world. Now, next question I'm really interested in because I'm a 1980s baby. So I know when I went home with an issue, my parents would always say to me, well, what did you do? Like, <laughs> me too, Beck. Me too. <laughs> Maybe it's just the generation of parents we have instead. Yeah. So the, the question that we've got is, what are the three responses parents can give children about school issues? So you ladies, I'm a little bit older than both of you. However, the response was the same. <laughs> because once upon a time, the parents would believe the school and they would say to the child, if you've been in trouble or there's been an issue, what did you do? Mm. Now, I'm going to suggest there are three reasons or three responses that parents can give their children at home. So imagine son or daughter comes home and says, I've got no friends, the teacher's picking on me, I don't understand the work, blah, blah, blah. The first response can be to dismiss the child and go, toughen up, get over it, move on, you'll be fine. Now, the fear with that response is they may miss something important. But often that would happen. When I was growing up, that certainly happened. Toughen up, get over it. The sun right. comes up the next day, move on. <laughs> so that's the first response. And I'm going to give you the two extremes. The second response might be to believe whatever the child said as gospel and then go and tear strips off the teacher or the principal. So I've got no friends. The teacher's picking on me. Someone says a bully. Often parents will ring deputies and principals in the car on the way home or turn around and come back to school and then be ready to say, my child's just said this and I'm believing them as 100% gospel. Therefore, the school's got a problem. Now, we all know young children in particular can filter their view of the world and can spin a story to make them look good or not look bad. However, 
the parents may choose to believe their child as 100% accurate without further delving into the story. So the third response, which I think is the more prudent and middle ground response that parents should say to their children, and that is, I'm listening to you, I'm hearing you, I need to get the school's perspective on this issue. So I'm going to follow it up either now or later or tomorrow. So I'm listening to you, I'm hearing you, but I need to follow it up with the school. So I get both views of the world. So parents can either dismiss it, not a good idea because you're going to miss something important, believe it as gospel, but you're not getting the other view of the world, or listen prudently, cautiously, and commit to following up with the school at the earliest possible convenience. And which also builds that relationship of trust and collaboration because it means they're listening to the teachers and getting their view of the world so they come to a common understanding of the issue and they can move forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. As as you were kind of painting those three, almost like that continuum is what I imagined in my mind. And I could kind of pinpoint parents that I have, you know, previously engaged with, you know, in a variety of different contexts and could kind of imagine them standing somewhere along that yeah. continuum and just going, oh, you could kind of see the ones that were that end of the extreme where it was like, my child said this and I'm believing that and that's, there's you know, it's that black and white, no, there's nothing else to this story. And you just kind of go, oh, like, <laughs> really? I suspect... In your careers, ladies, you could remember occasions where a parent has said, my child said this, and upon reflection, they've sometimes they might have even come back and apologised after they've got more information about it and went, terribly sorry, I believe what they said is gospel, but it actually didn't happen mm. like that. Yeah. Which means they need to respond with the middle ground. Just say, I'm listening, I'm hearing, I'll follow it up. Yeah. Just an idea. Yeah. And I think it's 100% a valid, valid kind of, you know, middle ground of, you know, I've got a little bit of information, but I might need a little bit more to help me paint a broader picture around what is really going on here to be able to, you know, help support you in this space. So when... Sorry, I can also say that also sends an important message to the student slash child because they then think my parents and my school are going to work together Mm. as opposed to being at loggerheads, which can sometimes be displayed. If the parent says to their child, listen, I'm I'm hearing you, but I'm going to go and get the school's opinion on this. Oh, hang on. All of a sudden, my parents and my teachers are going to work together. Then that's a good thing. Mm. Should be. Yeah. It's that partnership, isn't it? We're in this together. We're here to support each other for the sake of the child and their educational journey. So when you know, I'm putting my parent hat on now, going to my my children's school, what are the three questions that parents can ask or should ask teachers? So imagine put your parent hat on and imagine child's come home and said, mum and dad, this has happened at school today. You want to follow it up? The simple question you say to your child's teacher at the first opportunity is, my child said this, what happened from a school point of view? You just want to give the teacher or the deputy or the principal the opportunity 
for them to recount the information they have. Yeah. And hence, we simply say, listen, my child said this. Can you help me understand what happened from your point of view? Because, you know, they're accusing such and such or they said such and such happened. So I just want to hear it from the school's point of view. And then that allows the teacher, deputy, principal to just give a recount in their own words, in their own time, so that that presents a more complete picture for the parent. Child has said this. Teacher has said this. The truth is probably going to be somewhere in the middle ground, but it allows the school to respond, if you like. Mm. Following on from that, once the parent hears that information, the second question I think parents should consider asking is, what's the school policy, practice or protocol on whatever the issue is? If I can give you some examples that are real world. Uh, child goes home with a, an injury, which happens in schools. And if the school hasn't contacted mum or dad, and mum or dad's a bit worried about this, then they contact the school or they go and visit the school the next day and say, listen, what happened? Okay, well, child got injury, we applied first aid, sent them back to class, sent them home. Okay, well, look, can you help me understand what's the school's policy on alerting families to serious injuries or head injuries or whatever it might be so that that gives the school the opportunity to process what their processes, practices, policies, protocols are, or whatever the topic might be. So it's just allowing the school to share their story and rationalise their decision based on school practices. So I think that's the second question. And the third question is, again, a reminder that we're in this together. The third question should be, well, moving forward, how can we, home and school, parents and educators, what can we do to move my child's education forward? Which again is simply highlighting working together, putting the child at the center of our conversation and do it in partnership. So that reinforces that collaboration part of my formula. Because if a parent says, okay, well, what are we going to do now to move forward? What are we going to do to support my child's education? Mm. It could be as a result of a learning need. It could be as a result of an injury. It could be a result of an absence, whatever it is. Well, the next step is, well, what are we going to do now? We, home, school, well, how are we going to work together for the next step of my child's journey? Those three questions make sense? Yep. Yeah, I think there's um, potentially a lot of people who might be listening being like, I need that third question just on a poster and, I don't know, post it <laughs> noted onto some of our parents so they understand <laughs> it's not just a, well, what are you going to do to fix it kind of question at the end there. And I think a lot of that would mean potentially teachers role modeling that if that situation came up it's you know role modeling that question or at least that phrasing so that it starts to get into the parent mindset around this is what we're trying to do to work together so that the next time you come up you're going to ask me that question I'm not going to have to model it for you it's um, interesting you suggest that Beck. Uh, I've actually got those three questions printed on uh, bookmarks and when uh, I first introduced these uh, when, I, when I first tested this out with some parents in one of my past lives I actually said to this parent, look, we're about to have a tricky meeting here. Uh, and I was supporting, I was there in support of the teacher. And I was sitting outside the classroom with the parent about talking. I said, listen, before we go in, I said, can you just read these questions, have them in the back in your hand? And can we just trial this model? And I've tried to introduce that 
uh, in my own school communities, but anyone's welcome to them. But I really encourage families uh, and particularly teachers and parents to have the right questions available so that the dialogue is collaborative uh, in an environment of trust um, by asking questions. And that's why my formula is about trust, collaboration and inquiry. There's, there's two things I like about that. I like the fact that you forefronted it with this is going to be a difficult conversation and here is something for you because some parents come in not even knowing what they're going to ask. They just know that they're there to be there for their child and they haven't actually taken the the opportunity to go, well, what is it I'm going in to ask for? What do I need to do? But also a lot of parents have their own anxiety about coming back to school. You know, the principal's office is still a scary place for many of our parents who didn't, you know, even if you were the, the good kid at school per se, um, the principal's office is still a stressful place to go as the parent going in to advocate for your child. So having a, that printed there as an example to be like, look, if you're really stuck, if you're stressed or whatever, whatever's going on for you, I'm happy to go through these as a structure to help get to where we need to be. So flipping the parent hat off and putting the teacher hat on as we do, what are the three questions that teachers should ask parents? So when a parent comes into a classroom, might be for a parent-teacher interview, it could be to uh, try and solve a problem, it could be one of those five reasons I mentioned at the start. I think the first question that teachers should ask parents is, what do you need? Now, that question is really powerful and really disarming. And it's also quite a strong question because all of a sudden, a teacher is inviting the parent into the conversation with the anticipation of working together. And parents find that really off-putting frequently because what you said, Rebecca, is really true. Sometimes parents don't know what they're going to say. So as soon as you say to a parent, what do you need? They almost take a back step to say, hang on, you're indicating a degree of care for me and interest in what my opinion is about my child. Well, that's I wasn't expecting that. That's really off-putting. But they have to then think, about the five reasons why they were there. Are they there to share information, context or history, want advice, want a solution or give advice or a solution? So all of a sudden, they may not know that, but if teachers know that in the back of their mind and they're thinking, okay, they've got to identify one of those five reasons why they're coming. And as soon as you say, well, what do you need? Um, it's quite disarming for parents and it makes them take a back step, but it's a really powerful inv invitation. Can I stress something? Don't ask, what do you want? We don't want to know what they want because they might want the impossible. <laughs> so needs are very different from wants. Quick, quick story. I had, a, I had a parent come to me once and say, Andrew, I would like daily written feedback on my child's learning progress on every subject. Oh, now, oh wow. The most powerful non-verbal, the most powerful communication tool is pausing. And I just looked at this parent and I paused. And then I said, what do you need? And she thought about it. You could see her mind ticking over. And she said, oh, I need regular feedback. I went, fine, I can do regular feedback, but I can't do daily written on every subject. So as soon as I said, what do you need? She went, what am I actually asking for here? So that's the first powerful question. Second powerful question. Teachers should say to parents, 
whatever they're asking for, what do you, what's that going to look like in my classroom? What, what, what do you think that's going to look like? What do you think it's going to look like in my school? So when this parent said to me, I want daily written feedback about every subject on my child, I went, uh, so just help me understand, what do you think that's going to look like? And you could see her mind ticking over going, there's no way that's going to happen. Because as soon as she said that, she knew that was going to be near on impossible. So second question, what do you think it's going to look like? That also means that the parents have to stand in the shoes of the teachers for a moment, which is really exciting because they go, oh, is this really going to happen? Can I really expect this? And often they can't. So second question, what's it going to look like? Third and final question to close the conversation is anything else, which is effectively saying, have you said your piece? Can I help you with anything else? Oh, no. You've asked me what I need. I've told you what I need. We've decided what it's going to look like, if it's possible or not possible. Anything else? No, I'm good. Thanks very much. So they're the three simple questions. Needs, what's it look like? Anything else? And, and like you said, quite simple and quite effective. Alice, look, I and I think my formula, while it's numerical, but it relates to some strategies, I hope it's very practical I think we can overcomplicate some conversations. hundred percent, yep. And I think we end up relying on too many, in education, in our language, frameworks for everything. Yep. So while this may appear as another framework, and it probably is, it's a very practical, simple strategy which people can use as necessary when the context allows. And it does require some education of parents as well. <coughs> Excuse me. I often put these sort of notes in newsletters so that parents will know, oh, well, hang on, there's three questions I should be asking. Or oh, hang on, I'm going to a parent-teacher interview, let me ask those questions. Mm. Or uh, I've got an issue. So this sort of promotion and education in newsletters I think is really handy as well. That's a, that's a great suggestion because we want to empower our parents when they're engaging with the school. And I think that's a really easy way to get them to connect asking those simple questions and the same with teachers back to parents you know they're not lengthy wordy questions that you're not going to be able to remember they're things that are you know easy for teachers and for parents to remember it you know to have those conversations that keep the child that student at the heart of that conversation that's the purpose absolutely yeah i love that so in light of all of that what are the two criteria teachers should use before committing to any parent request that we might get? So I just hinted at them when I just explained the last part when teachers respond to parents. There are two criteria that I suggest, and I say this to my own staff, and, and I say it when we do presentations. Teachers need to ask themselves, whatever the parent's asking for, after they've said what do they need and they tell them what they need, in the back of the teacher's mind, they must filter their response with these two criteria. The first one is, is what they're asking realistic and reasonable? Like, is it possible, physically possible? So when a teacher, when a parent said to me, daily written feedback on every subject about my child's progress, I went, realistic, reasonable, well, I can do it for one or two days maybe, but there's no way that's realistic and reasonable. So the second criteria following on from that is, is it sustainable? Can I continue to do it? Can I, so can I physically do it, morally, ethically do it? And 
Can I continue to do it? Now, if it's a one-off, then great. But if a parent is asking a teacher for a change in behavior or a change in expectations, you've got to say, is it realistic and reasonable? Yes. Okay, that's good. But can I do it repeatedly over and over again if that's required? Daily written feedback on every subject is not sustainable. It will exhaust a teacher. So that just wasn't possible. And as soon as that filter in my head went through those criteria, I just went, what do you need? And then they, they rephrased it, thankfully, to a realistic and sustainable model. And that worked, which is good. But I think realistic and sustainable. Yeah. Very easy criteria and very practical. I love the practical tips and, and the things that are easy to remember because I think, you know, in the busyness of schools and all of the things that teachers need to hold and that, you know, that cognitive load of, of and their working memory and, you know, in, when engaging with parents and oftentimes it's on the fly, you know, as they're, moving to classrooms or they're, you know, saying goodbye to kids at the gate or, or, you know, wherever that interaction might happen, we need to be able to withdraw that from that memory and go, yep, I need to make sure that they meet, you know, that I'm doing these things and that it is, you know, reasonable and it is sustainable long-term. So thanks for those practical tips. <laughs> I love Pleasure. them. Pleasure. Definitely need to make some like little post-its or little <laughs> little uh copy bookmarks. Little bookmarks. Yeah. <laughs> happy to make them available, ladies. Happy to make them available. <laughs> Love it. So if I haven't missed any, I think we're down to our last section, are we, Alice? We are. We are. So Andrew, how can our listeners get in touch with you or find out more about the work that you do? Oh, Rebecca and Alice, I am on LinkedIn uh, and I think some teachers are using LinkedIn more and more. Uh, I do have a website called creativecollaborativesolutions.au. Uh, and if you look me up on Google, dare I say, you will find my connection with Amber Press, who is uh, my publisher and Alice's publisher. So probably those strategies are the best. So LinkedIn, look me up on creativecollaborativesolutions.au. Um or go via Amber Press and our publisher can put you in touch with me. Fabulous. And I do recommend getting your hands on those books. <laughs> Been having a, a, uh, a little read. But thanks for sharing. Thank you, Alice. That's good. <laughs> with me, Andrew. Um, before we wrap up our conversations uh, on this episode, let's have a... a um, a little snapshot at our takeaways. Beck, what are you going to take away from our conversation with Andrew? Like the idea of forefronting with parents' potential questions, and I'm keeping in mind as well my experience working in schools where uh, English is not their first language as well too and the potential difficulties that can come with that and also forefronting um, just those challenging conversations. And I've done that before in my practice, you know, with my teachers and, and with colleagues as well, and just to be like, you know, this one's going to be a challenging conversation. We can take a break. We can do that. With parents, I really try and focus on I'm a parent too. I know how hard it is to sit there. I know that this can be a challenge. This is not a reflection on you as a parent kind of thing, but I haven't 
thought of having specific questions there ready to go as even like a cheat sheet. Um, and I think having a, a random batch of those that could be suitable for anyone who's um, experienced trauma or anxiety or um, language barriers or anything like that, just to have a sort of bank of things so that, you know, when those parents are sitting there, potentially not happy with whatever's been said or it's not the resolution that they were hoping for, at least there's other things that we can go to to help move the conversation towards a resolution. Yeah. And I think hugely important and I and like you said Beck I also I hadn't thought of front loading those conversations with you know here are some tools for you to help you you know guide that conversation that we're having about your child um, you know in whatever scenario that might look like to help them engage in that conversation because often parents come and whether it's just that on the fly conversation with a teacher or it's that more formal parent-teacher interview or, you know, it's sitting in the principal's office having that conversation which is often to a parent is often a much scarier scenario, having a toolkit for them to be able to utilise to help them engage with that conversation and withdraw, I guess it's almost not limiting but withdrawing that emotional element, taking that really emotive language out of it and just going, right, I'm here's the question I want to know and then how do I move that conversation forward using those prompts so that I'm not getting so overwhelmed and, you know, angry or upset or whatever emotion is that I'm feeling when I'm advocating for my child, taking that away and, and just giving me the questions to be able to manage that situation and that scenario. So I think that's hugely important and definitely a key takeaway that I will take back to my context and the practice and my practice as a, a teacher and a leader and something that I will utilize moving forward. So I want to thank you for that, Andrew. And I like what I also took away from the conversation was I like, you know, the notion that there's five reasons that parents want to engage with the school and really pinpointing what that might be in order to be able to engage with that conversation. Is it just that they're looking for information? Is it that they're seeking to understand something or the context or whatever that might be? You know, are they looking to get advice about something? Are they looking for a solution or are they looking to give us advice and really seeking to understand first and foremost that part of why they're engaging with the school. What is it that they're, you know, what is it you need? That simple question, what do you need to be able to go, okay, I understand what you need. Let's look at what that looks like. How do I help you moving forward so that we're working in that partnership? You've summed it up brilliantly, ladies. <laughs> You've summed it up brilliantly. <laughs> I well, need to put a toolkit together now for schools. That's great. That's that's my <laughs> toolkit together. I feel like you're so, onto something. Yeah. Look, look. As you said, a little palm card on a desk just gives yeah. teachers the language to ask. Yeah. And if you promote these things in newsletters for parents, that just gives them a structure to ask. Yeah. Um, then you're on the same page. And who benefits? Our children, our students. That's what, that's what we're there for. <laughs> Any final words, any parting 
messages that you would like to leave our listeners with, Andrew? Oh, look, can I just commend anybody who's listening to this podcast? I think the more teachers can network and share ideas, and I'm no expert, Alison, Rebecca, however, I'm happy to share ideas and be part of a conversation. I think we have a fantastic profession which is getting harder and harder and harder. So the more teachers can listen to each other and share ideas, um, once again, we're going to look after each other, hopefully improve our well-being, decrease our stress and provide high-quality education. So thank you, ladies, for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us, Andrew. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for Season 3, Episode 29, as we look at how we can build quality teacher and parent partnerships with some really great tips and strategies that you can take away and implement in your context tomorrow. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us for this conversation. And we look forward, listeners, to having you join us for our next episode as we creep an inch closer to 100 episodes back. It's getting closer. Oh, my gosh. Almost there. It's so exciting. It feels like it's taken so long but also gone so fast at the same time. Yeah, yeah, definitely (laughs) has. I can't believe we're so close. It is definitely exciting. As always, you can reach out on our socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can find Beck James and I also on LinkedIn where you can also find Andrew. So feel free to reach out to us uh, with any questions or takeaways that you had from our episode. We're always interested to hear what our listeners are taking away from the episodes that we share. Bye for now.